to another episode of Citation Needed, the history podcast that will dance for listeners. We will dance for your affection, please. My name's Colin Dunphy, with me as always... Ryan Buckley. And Jonathan Graham. And this is a history podcast that we like to tell stories, we like to tell things that we learned, but we don't really pay a lot of attention to names, dates, all the little details. Just trying to get you a fun story that you can tell your friends. Yeah. And this week, uh, we've got a story from... Johnny Graham. Yes, you do. So, we're probably all familiar with the name Cornwallis living yeah. in Halifax. Sure, sure. We're not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. The statues of uh, Pokemon Jim. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. That's how I know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. That, that's all you need to know. That's fine. If that was all you knew, then uh, you'd be better off. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, you know, that'd be great. Um, but that kind of touched off the. Other side of things. Yeah, okay, Cornwallis is the easily identifiable one. Um, but, you know, street names have to come from somewhere, and you start <laughs> looking at streets like, okay, where the hell did this come from? And how, some of them are fairly generic, and then you get like your regions of Halifax that are all named after tree types, and then sure. cities. Other people's universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a few of those. Yeah, yeah right. Um, <laughs> or seasons. But then you get <laughs> Stairs Street. Stairs. Right. What the hell does right. that mean? So it's a guy's name, obviously. Oh, I assumed there was like a flight of stairs halfway. I'd never driven down it. I was worried. No. No, this actually was... Uh... <laughs> I was scared for my car. <laughs> well, I mean, if you had a skateboard, it'd probably be That's okay. True. There's a railing, probably. <laughs> probably. It's not a ramp, but there's probably a railing. Uh, but regardless, uh, William Stairs, uh, his name came up in my searches through this, and... Very little known in comparison, I would say, into in comparison to many other street names around Halifax. And just kind of went digging on him for a bit. Uh, so it turns out he was one of those fellows that actually went through Africa and beat a path through it, mm. both literally and figuratively. Uh, nice. And uh, got us to where we are today. And got a street named after him <laughs> for it. So... <laughs> So let's yeah, unpack you, you all, this. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's start unpacking this. So we're going back to of English descent, of course. Actually, came from Ireland uh, from his direct lineage, but it's an English name. They did start in England. They were of the Protestant religion as well, and not Catholic. So all that fun stuff. They're English. So we're gonna disassociate them from yeah. from the team that we like to root for. Yeah, that's right. Yep, completely, totally. Put them on the team we don't. Yep. Makes um, sense. So his family came over. Uh, to Halifax um, by way of Philadelphia at some point. And they actually were a fairly well-to-do family, not rich, but well-entrenched in business and politics. And William's father was actually someone who kind of stayed away from the politics side, but was still fairly uh, well-involved in the business community, but also didn't take any bullshit. Uh, and was also very strict with his family, so he kind of had not necessarily a military discipline, but very strict with his kids. Um, so William grew up uh, out in the northwest arm, actually, on the northern side. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the house still stands there. I didn't get that far into it, <laughs> but uh, it was considered on the outskirts of Halifax at the time, because in the late 1800s, uh, 1880s-ish, uh, Halifax only had about 31,000 people in it. Right. Which was still kind of bustling for the time, but, eh, you know, it's it's... Ten times that now. So, it's a little bigger. A little bit bigger. Uh, but living on the outskirts, you know, he was out and about, enjoying time with his family and friends out there. And then when he's 12 years old, he goes off to school in Edinburgh. 
and goes there for about three years. Uh, comes back, winds up going to the Royal Military College out in Kingston, graduates from there, but doesn't actually get into the Army. There was only like two commissions being given out that year, and he didn't get either one. So, naturally, you go to New Zealand. Naturally, <laughs> Because sure. reasons. Uh, but he was actually had an engineering background coming out of RMC. So he was building railroads, I believe, in New Zealand for a while, kind of living in the bush and out in his own, doing his own thing and not really... Uh, he still identified as a Haligonian, more often than not, Haligonian kind of Canadian, uh, personally. But as time wears on, Canada didn't really have the identity it did at that point, so mm. he just took to calling himself an Englishman. Sure. So you get a sense of like, yeah, okay, maybe he's Haligonian at heart, but he's still selling himself as English. Right. So, okay. I don't know, it's a mixed sense of loyalties, because looking back at his family history, you have this family that's deeply politically entrenched, anti-confederation, full-on, like, no, Nova Scotia's going to get dicked over if they enter this, and they were totally right. And then this kid was like, eh, I'll go off to school in Scotland, and then go to Kingston, and then go to New Zealand. And have no ties to this whatsoever. There's, like, no effect that's really... There's no imprint left on him of all this anti-Confederacy stuff. Right. And there's a lot of, not a lot of, but like subtleties of anti-British sentiment within the family because the British are pushing for Confederation at this time. Um, and he doesn't seem to really bear any of that, even though his da- probably a byproduct of his dad just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you know, yeah. being a dick to him, being a disciplinary and all that fun stuff. Anyway, uh, so he's in New Zealand having a fun time out in the wild building railroads. And the English come around and are like, hey, you're doing an all right job. You want a commission in the Royal Engineers? It's like, yeah, sure. I'll totally go to London and England and all that area up there where there's civilization. <laughs> Gets up there and finds it's actually quite dull, living the barracks life, you know, day in, day out. It's kind of the same old humdrum. And he gets sick of all the just people who are there trying to get their medals. Mm. No, he's got this wider sense of adventure, and it's probably born by the exploring and being out away from home that he wound up doing throughout his formative years. So he's around 22, 23 at this point, And he sees that there's actually this expedition being put together in Africa. Uh, it's called the Imin Pasha Relief Expedition. And it's fairly well known, but wasn't known to me at the time. Um, it was this great British controversial expedition into the heart of Africa or uh, in darkest Africa as some of the of course yeah. oh yeah as some of the uh, memoirs that came out of it were titled uh, by uh, the leader of the expedition at that time um, and Williams dares is like yeah sure I'll totally sign up for that and winds up meeting the leader of it um, H.M. Stanley I believe he was the fellow that found uh, Dr. Livingstone in the wilds of Africa yeah. at one point as a journalist okay um, so Stairs meets Stanley and Stanley's immediately impressed just by his straightforwardness and like you know by the bookishness and he's like yeah great no you're full on candidate like if you can get out of the army go for it and they're like yeah okay yeah fine whatever go on leave <laughs> have fun um, so he joins up and Stanley is this uh, other character that's well deserving of his own <laughs> podcast he wound up starting up as a journalist uh being in the wilds relative wilds of africa later on in his career but he was well known for early on in his career kind of bribing out other media outlets to be like okay no one or couriers i should say going to media outlets being like okay don't take their stories just take mine and that's how he <laughs> built his reputation as nice. being like this quote-unquote sole source that's out there in the wilds nice. 
and being this voice coming from the wilderness and builds his <laughs> reputation off that. And this is a theme that keeps recurring. He very much wants his own voice out there. I could, I'm picturing him as Anderson Cooper. All I can see is Anderson <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> okay. Like, just like a newsman, but really concerned with himself. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, so some of the traits that wind up coming to light later on as a quick summary um, of Stanley's character. Uh, pathological fear of women. Okay. An inability to work with talented co-workers. Anderson Cooper. <laughs> and a love of the aristocratic rich. Oh. So. <laughs> that sounds like Anderson Cooper to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, judge for yourself. But uh, I will not partake. Regardless. So. Uh, Stanley is leading this expedition, and the Amin Pasha relief expedition is this. Uh, it's this weird. You wind up getting into the geopolitics of Africa, which again another podcast unto itself. But the short of it is, Amin Pasha was actually a Prussian of origin. He went to medical school in Prussia, didn't exactly graduate, but did well enough that you know he popped over to Egypt and through Turkey in that opposite order, of course, uh, and did well enough for himself there and ingrained himself with the local society that he picked up like seven languages along the way, Was uh, had, you know, basically your excellent references and mm. built his resume along the way. <laughs> sure. And uh, gets in with the Egyptian, like, government that's trying to control these, like, more northeastern parts of Africa and as they expand out. So you have the Egyptian interplay and the British interplay happening there. And he eventually comes into uh, governorship of a region that is now, I'm going to go ahead and say South Sudan, because at this point in time, the borders switch around so much mm. in this part of Africa that it's hard to peg it down. Like I went, I, I was just looking at maps and everything shifts from country to country. It's just easier to, easier to say South Sudan, because that is now its legitimate own country, and it's funny to kind of see that parallel yeah. now versus then. Mm. So... He's there controlling this, and kind of shit winds up going down. There are other uh, warlords coming to power, warlords of their time, uh, and taking control of these territories that the Egyptians and British tenuously had a hold on and declaring them independent again. So he's kind of shifting around from time to time, and because it's, you know, continental Africa, news doesn't get out so fast. What? So he, yeah, <laughs> shocker. So he kind of disappears for a while. And uh, everyone's worried about him. So his brother, who's actually a banker out in St. Petersburg, uh, sends two other expeditions in, uh, neither one of which were English-associated and were just totally privately financed, but neither one of them are successful. Some of them make it halfway, some of them barely get onto the continent and are like, uh, nope, too, too hostile, Gonna, no, we're done, we're done, going home. Uh, so then there's this joint venture put together, and depending on the source you read, it's really just glossed over of how it came to be but it's a joint Egyptian and British expedition. Sure. Joint funding, and Stanley's in charge, all well and good, because he's found Dr. Livingston and all this other crap. So, uh, off they go. Uh, they set off from England, and they head down uh, towards Zanzibar, pick up a bunch of porters, about 600, I think, in total. Okay. You wind up having, like, you know, 600 porters out of Zanzibar and maybe, like, 30, 40 white dudes. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's your basic composition right there, right? Fun times, had by few. <laughs> Very few. So they head up uh, towards the western side and figure that would be the best way to come about it because they cover a lot of territory. But there's also all this talk of, okay, there's lots of 
potential land routes, we know there's tons of ivory in here. There must be other like minerals that we can exploit because Race for Africa is just really heating up at this point. It's, it's underway, but it's really starting to heat up. And this seems to be the underlying theme behind why this was put together uh, between the Egyptians and the British. The right. British wouldn't have really give a shit unless they could actually claim a stake for this. Right. And there are various companies, and I'm doing air quotes around mm. companies, <laughs> being put together uh, that are like, you know, the British South African company, and there's a Belgian one that comes along a little later. There's tons of others that are just trying to get these stakes claimed in the land, on the resources, and whether that's by quote-unquote force or <laughs> by being relatively amicable with the locals, you know, trying to sign treaties. And then you get into the whole legality of whether or not they're enforceable. Regardless, it's a mess. <laughs> so Stanley leads this exp ex uh, expedition into Africa. And just to give like a sense of where he's at, uh, one of the quotes when he was talking about the people in the Congo. He says, Every cordial-faced aborigine whom I meet, I see a promise of assistance to me in the redemption of himself from the state of unproductiveness in which he at present lives. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I look upon him with much of the same regard that an agriculturalist views his strong-limbed child. He is a future recruit to the ranks of soldier laborers. In the Congo Basin, could I have but enough of his class would become a vast productive garden. So, just one thing. Yeah. Is that how he thinks people view their children? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like when yeah. a farmer sees his son, all he sees is like, that don't work. <laughs> Something good. Now, you know what? You raise a good question because I'm not sure if he actually was married or had any kids or has any other legacy aside from this. Right. But he was also fairly possessive over this whole thing because he was on this previous expedition for to find Dr. Livingston, which is the same idea as this, mm. just with more men and better funding. Um, and when he came out of that, other people were writing materials about his expedition, and they kind of disparaged him in that same regard, being like, yeah, he's kind of a dick, really self-centered, you know, and kind of a pretty boy, because he wants himself to look good at right. all times. Clearly, after me talking for him this long you get the idea yeah so Anderson <laughs> so at this point uh, he's already placed like okay none of you are going to publish anything about this for at least the first six months once this expedition is done because I'm going to take care of that first and I'm getting my voice out there first <laughs> this is happening you get a little bit of muttering but not everyone's in it for this this is a lot of experience building and this is where we come back to stairs because this is his like grand adventure and he's heading out. And I can't exactly get a sense for what he thought it was going to be or how he thought it was all going to go. It just At this point, it seems like it's a grand adventure. And the initial plan was for, I think, the entire expedition to take uh, 12 to 14 months. That would be it. You're going to go up into the Congo, follow a couple rivers, get some steamboats for a little while there. And then you're just going to overland it, and bam, you're going to find him, and you're going <laughs> to rescue him and get him out of there. And the kicker on all this is that what they're going in with is uh, not necessarily a lot of basic goods. <laughs> they're rolling in with two tons of gunpowder, 350,000 percussion caps, 100,000 rounds of Remington, uh, 
ammunition, 50,000 Winchester cartridges, 30,000 Gatling cartridges, all that. Like, they're going in with a lot of firepower. Right, yeah. 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 And, that, and this is the relief expedition. Right. Like, they know what they're relieving him of. They're not going to publish that, but that's what they're relieving him with. Yeah. Like, they're coming to blast their way out of there. Um, so the expedition does not go as planned. What? Ah, <laughs> shocker. The boats can't get them in as far as they can, and they wind up overlanding it, and of course people get sick along the way. Well, the plan was to enter through Congo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And, like, just bring bullets. And just, just bring eat, bullets. Just eat bullets, I assume. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess there was, like, ten uh, crates. I don't know how big a crate would be of uh, European provisions brought with. Um, Baguettes. <laughs> Bread yeah. and, breads and wine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's always talk of liquor along the way, too. Yeah. Um, along the way, what you wind up seeing is uh, Stanley kind of takes this group and goes ahead and leaves a handful behind to be like, okay, this is base camp, we're going to go all the way, cut cut our way through, find out what there is, come back, grab you, and we're going to go ahead. And what winds up happening over time is as more and more people get sick, the distance they're able to travel is greatly reduced, obviously, Mm -hmm. and these camps that get left behind more and more kind of grow and shrink a lot because the sick get left and then they die off real quick. Right. Uh, And you can only hold, like, these quote-unquote forts for so long with a bunch of sick guys, so... I mean, they do, there's never any real overrunning throughout all of this, but in the end, they wind up making their way through. They find this Imin Pasha fellow who actually isn't that keen on leaving. I think they spend roughly six months kicking around there between sickness and trying to <laughs> convince this guy to like, okay, let's go. Like, we've, let's go. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm here. And he's like legitimately bought in. Like, he's all in about the people. He's gained their trust and he's trying to do good by them, but uh, he doesn't have the military power. And then these guys show up. And what winds up happening is he's giving them more in terms of food and, like, shelter than they were ever able to give him in terms of ammunition. It's like, well, this was a cluster. All right. Um, So they make it out. It's more than 50% casualties along the way. And, yeah, and it's kind of brutal because the attitude, like, you read through, I went through some of the journals that Stairs kept, and... There's another expedition he leads that I'll get into shortly, but you just see the mentality of, oh, this is just a cluster and it wasn't well organized, and he continually shits on Stanley. <laughs> like, he's always left behind is the recurring theme for him. <laughs> he's always left behind to look after the rear column. And then there's this, uh, an, uh, this whole other incident where one of the guys left behind in command of the rear actually fucks it up and gets killed. Yeah, it doesn't go so well. And then Stairs kind of comes in and sort of salvages it. He's just, you know, competent. Yeah. Not in a great way, but, yeah. he, you know, he's... Better than the guy who screwed up. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, instead of losing everyone, we kept a few. Great. Good on you, bud. So he gets some renown for that. Also for making it out alive, because not everyone did. Um, and they come out of it... Being like, well, okay, the Min Pasha is just going to move his camp somewhere else. We're just getting the hell out of here. Uh, I think it wound up being a 33-month adventure. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was oh, supposed geez. to be 14. It was a little absurd. They steam out. They're out alive. Great, good, fine, okay. Um, and they come back, and it's not necessarily like full-on flag-waving, conquering hero stuff, but they become like ingrained in the social elite of England going around to parties being like oh we want to hear all the stories yeah <laughs> and Stairs is initially enamored by this uh, and so he goes around he's making all these acquaintances in England and uh, being brought into all these balls and these dinners and speaking uh, and his health has kind of been affected a bit too 
Uh, he suffered multiple bouts of malaria. Um, and one of the things he prided himself on was still being able to go under his own weight. I mean, regardless of however long he had to stay in place to get better for, mm. he still went along under his own weight. Meanwhile, um, Stanley had been carried more mm. often than not, right. and almost like a king at times, yeah. <laughs> depending on where he went. And again, building onto uh, Stanley's narrative, he would go alone, like as the sole white man amongst right. all the porters and stuff, so that he could say he alone did it. So you really get this grudge building up against Stanley. In the end, nothing really winds up coming of it between Stairs and Stanley, because Stairs is more like, uh, screw that, he can do what he wants, and winds up keeping his own diaries, which were not published during his lifetime. There was kind of a squabble with his family over whether they should or shouldn't be. Um, that's later on. So Stairs is in England and receiving all these fancy dinners and speeches and whatnot. Comes back to Halifax at one point later on, uh, back home, and is greeted by like all the politicians of the time and the business elite. And it's funny to see that it actually is business elite. It's not like anything, just like the general public. It's no, it's full on business elite <laughs> that are there. It's it's it still reeks of like eh, I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. Just it's, it's, you still see that. You still see that happening. Regardless, uh, yeah, he makes like this kind of speech. And it's like, oh yeah, it's all great and good. And with this expedition was great because, you know, we're going to bring them out of the plight that they're in in Africa and sure. we'll stop slavery. And he's like totally bought the propaganda that's happening at the time. And you look at it like, where did it go wrong? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. It's like he totally bought onto the imperialistic propaganda that's yeah. there. And he's just a shill. He's just, you know, this, this placeholder guy that's put in there that is now espousing all these values. Like, yes, what we did was good regardless of how many, you know, natives we killed there yeah. or how many people that we hired on died along the way. But I still made it out, so that's what counts, and we're going to get better. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, after seeing all that, how can you not think that, eh, was it yeah. worth it? Because you, yeah, okay, you technically saved the guy, even though he didn't really need saving, and all didn't the shit you brought him was useless, but he wound up saving you more than anything else. Right. I, I still, it's, uh, it, bo it really bothers me that that's still his mentality coming out of all this. Regardless, he's in Halifax, he gets all that, he gets this nice silver plate, and he's like, yeah, cool, okay, thanks guys. Um, and, I don't know, his, his attachment to Halifax is still a little weird for me, because he, he's in, on the tail end of the initial uh, Stanley expedition, comes out of it, gets a letter, finally, because you know how mail works then, <laughs> and uh, finds out his father died in France. He actually left Halifax because he's like, I'll be damned if all of those business people are going to spit on my corpse when I die, and takes off to uh -huh. Cannes in France and dies there, and is buried. And he writes about it being like, oh damn, like, oh, dad's dead and I'm so disappointed. I guess I'll never get to have, you know, see that house on the arm again and play around there. And he seems more concerned with the property and the previous memories, but there's no mention of his dad. He's just like, oh, shoot, he's dead. Yeah. And all the memories <laughs> right. that I had that don't involve my dad. <laughs> oh, well, on with the expedition. It's, I don't know, his attachment to Halifax is a little weird. He even has, like, a plaque at the RMC, too, that's commemorating his work. But, okay. Is that, is that all he did? Hmm. Not entirely, no. Uh, he winds up going back to England and gets on with uh, some Welsh regiment with the Royal Engineers, gets transferred. And they're not known for doing a lot in this regiment. They're kind of a stay-at-home bunch. Uh, and he takes that 
placement because he can take extended leaves of absence because he's still dealing with like recovering from his first expedition. Yeah, you know? right. he's he's fairly well, but there's times when people are reporting like, oh, he was at this wedding and he looked kind of sickly. So it's been almost three years. Uh, yeah, caravanning around Africa. Yeah, yeah. So that one ended in 1889, and in 1891 he signs on to a new expedition into Africa. This one's put on on behalf of the Belgian king, Leopold II. Mm. This guy, <laughs> I almost wish I'd done him instead. <laughs> he is a right proper dick. <laughs> and he's not English. So no, hey, hey, deviation. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, but he's a right proper dick. And he's more concerned with, okay, you're in Belgium. You have the Flemish and some French there. And you're kind of restricted. So he's looking at Africa being like, well... If I'm going to grow my wealth, because I have a tenuous hold at best on my property, uh, let's go to Africa and find what they got there. So he puts together this expedition and winds up recruiting Stairs. Stairs, who was really not keen on jumping out into another expedition for most of 1890, but for some reason in 91, he's like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and I think at this point he's 26. Um, yeah, so he's like really rolling through this yeah. really quickly. <laughs> uh, hops on with that. And this is more of a, we're going to go out and talk to this one fellow, Missiri. Uh, he's the leader in the what's now the Congo. Mm -hmm. And the Congo is stupidly resource-rich mm -hmm. for them. Uh, and there have been multiple attempts, multiple other expeditions that have been sent there, being like, all right, we got you to sign this treaty. We want you to fly the Free State of Congo flag, which is kind of like basically the Belgian flag, but under, you know, your own semi-autonomous but not really autonomous rain and he still kind of refuses to fly it so stairs is selected to leave this expedition to convince him like no dude you're, you're gonna do it so stairs changes a couple things he gets more provisions this time brings more cloth to trade with the locals for food he's learning from his mistakes and he saddles up sails down uh kind of on the same initial entry route going west east um except there's a drought <laughs> and no one gives a shit about cloth. There's just not enough food to go around. <laughs> so right off the bat, he's up shit creek, uh, which is really dry because there's <laughs> so it's just shit. Uh, and he's he's just trying to get his way through. And again, it's like one of those. Oh yeah, it'll only be like nine months. Nope, nope. It's gonna be double that, if not more. Oh my god. Uh, and he he eventually reaches his way there. Again, like over 50% casualties along the way. It's just 50% malaria by this point. Yeah, yeah there are the, there's multiple bouts. Like you go through and you read his entries and you're seeing like these gaps where he didn't write anything because he was sick. <laughs> he just was laid up and no one went anywhere and nothing happened. Um, it's, not, it's not a fun time had by anyone. It never is. Uh, like in one point though, you do get a sense of where, how far he has kind of come and what his current state is in comparison to uh, where he would have been on the previous expedition. Like At one point, there's a, an attack on his camp, um, and there, he's been berating the Zanzibarians again because they're so damn lazy and they <laughs> fall asleep at night on sentry duty, so he just gives them... He gives them uh, rock duty or quarry duty or something like that, which is standing still or marching up and down the square with a rock on your head for four hours a day. <laughs> or a hundred lashes or some other shit like that. Like, oh yeah, he's, he's great. Really boosting morale. Oh, smart move. <laughs> and there's multiple times where he's like, I can't figure out why these guys aren't uh, more inspired. I'm trying to inspire discipline in them. This isn't working. 
<sighs> anyway, uh, so there's a couple of guys that are raiding this camp he set up, and they're stealing their, their planted crops because they're waiting there for someone else to come back. Uh, so fires off a couple shots, kills two of the locals that were raiding it, and then goes full-on, like, crazy person, and cuts off their heads, puts them on spikes, leaves them outside the camp, being like, you guys don't fuck with us. Leave us alone. <laughs> That's like, also you, you a crazy tur- person stuff. Yeah, you also turned it to 11, man. Like, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. So he's current. He's now capable of this, and he's seen this shit, so... He's, I guess, adapting. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Not a pleasant fellow. So he winds up eventually meeting up with this Masiri fellow, leader of the Congo. And it, it's, it gets convoluted because he's an Englishman. He continually identifies as an Englishman. Masiri has heard rumors of this guy coming along as an Englishman. So he thinks, oh, the English have sent someone to help reinforce me because these Belgians continually pester me and maybe I can make an ally out of them. Except along the way he hears that this Englishman met with a Belgian envoy along the way and now the waters are a little muddied so he doesn't know what to make of this quite so Masiri's tactic is to kind of stall and delay and meet and then be all blustery and tell him to screw off but then also treat him well and bring him in and be hospitable and after a while stares kind of sees through it it's like all right you know screw this I'm gonna you you want to fly the flag fly the flag just fly the goddamn flag and the next day, he's like, you know what, fuck it, just, I'm taking it down and putting it up. Puts up the flag, <laughs> of free state of Congo. And Masiri just like, nah, fuck this, fucks off into the wilderness, like off to another city. And Stairs is like, all right, you two, these two guys that have been with him for a while, they're actually like fairly competent fellows, or so you're led to believe. Uh, okay, you two go off with this band of like 20, 30 of the locals, local warriors that we've recruited along the way. And convince him to come back or bring him back by force. Great. Right? Because <laughs> right. sure. that'll work. Uh, winds up, there's an encampment where Masiri's at, and one of the English fellows goes in with a handful like of the locals, and the rest are left behind with another Englishman. Uh, <laughs> goes into the tent, finds the guy there, starts talking with him, and then he sees one guy... The Masiri go for his weapon, which is, you know, obviously not a gun. Uh, and so the Englishman shoots him dead, and then the Englishman is killed. So all of a sudden, oh, Congo is leaderless. Great. Great. Good job, guys. <laughs> so, of course, it's upon stairs to select the new leader. He's there. Yeah. yeah he's white. Yeah, of course. So this creates a total clusterfuck of the whole thing. Um... And Stairs is just kind of like, all right, well, let's let's just do this, fine. And then becomes ill again. And a second expedition that's actually headed by a Belgian winds up coming in, seeing the situation he's in because he, Stairs is ill, had to kind of fall back, build a fort so he could protect his men or what was left of his men. And he's like, you guys just go home. Just, just go <laughs> home. I'll take it from here, okay? Just go. And so Stairs and his expedition leave, having deposed this so-called ruthless leader <laughs> who actually did have a fairly ruthless reputation well fair sure yeah. to be fair sure uh but nonetheless you know had actually held the region together anyway uh long story short stairs gets to the tail end and is about to head home and gets another bout of malaria and dies at the age of 28 oh. so 
yep, doesn't get to leave Africa. And he kind of, you can kind of see the mentality that he didn't really think he would make it out of Africa alive on the second go-around. But he still wanted to go out and be that adventurous type because he was getting sick of England. Um, and, yeah, and just dies along the way of this prolonged bout of malaria. Like, uh, Tempting of... fate, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can only get it so many goddamn times, right? <laughs> uh, uh, dies on his way out, and it, it's he wound up, like, the legacy is that, yeah, he discovered all these other bits and pieces along the way and charted a lot of this stuff and kind of became this amateur botanist. I think he's got some sort of plant named after him that's only found on this specific mountain in the Congo. Like, all, you know, cool. all this other yeah, typical sure. crap for an yeah, explorer type. Uh, but he also totally led the way for King Leopold to come in and just go ape shit on the Congolese. Yeah. Like, there are 10 million Congolese deaths attributed to King Leopold II. Yeah. And you want to toss stairs in as the precursor to that? Yeah. He's yeah. Not and he gets blameless. a street named after him. Yay. Yay. Um, but, like, I don't know. He, he's still kind of a stooge. He's still kind of like this clueless guy that's bought into the propaganda and I don't know, he just seems like a placeholder for... He comes off as an everyman. Like, sure, yeah. he's educated, but, like, none of the decisions he made were extraordinary. Nothing he did was good or bad. I just want to travel. It, yeah. But, like, mm. the te- you're right, the grasp on Halifax is tenuous if he dies at 28 years old, spends multiple years in Africa, multiple years learning in England, yeah. or in Scotland, and he barely... In Halifax. Why do we have a street named after him? I don't know. Like, all he it, did it was seems, screw over like we reaching. And yeah, he did, yeah it's, it's not like he... Yeah, it's, it just sounds like a student. Yeah. I know. It, it's, it's really... Shitty. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, if anyone's... If you're tied to King Leopold II in any way, and it's the year 2016, like, you can't honor a guy like that. Yeah. What, what <laughs> like, is that the, is not a good thing. I guess my problem here is what's there to honor? Like, yeah. like the idea of amateur botany is not worth honoring. <laughs> at his best, at his best, he was just all right. He found a, like a fern, or like oh, you be skip. He went to Africa and didn't die, and then went to Africa again and did die. So yeah, even that he almost is... made it out though. Like he was legitimately at the port on his way out, and yeah. then just like suddenly fell ill and, and died. And died. I know oh, people who've gone to Africa twice and lived are still alive. They don't get streets <laughs> named after him. <laughs> Uh, and he was incredibly petty at times too. Like he gets left behind to, you know, <laughs> do whatever by Stanley along the way, and he just like he. There's a whole page and a half of him just in the middle of after waiting for so long. He has his birth. His birthday is July first. Okay, so obviously they're having a great time in Canada back home. Yeah, sure. Um, and then he on the thirteenth of July after slaughtering like the last cow because they're all starving and everyone's getting pissed off at him. And he just goes off on Stanley. Uh, but but then what can one do? He's a despot of the worst sort. <laughs> Eaten up with pride, vanity, and arrogance, he is incapable of seeing anything good in the doings of others. His own doings occupy so much of his own thoughts. Sound familiar? Well, this Stanley guy does sound like an asshole, though. Stanley does seem yeah. pretty bad. Yeah, he yeah, was a total ass. He, sa- he Honestly, he sounds like the, the inspiration... You talked about him being carried around like a king. He sounds like the inspiration for the Kurtz character in Heart of Darkness, where he just like mm. works his way into the. You know, and he's a journalist, and he's writing, and he slowly starts to like lose his mind and his own ego, and eventually like builds himself up like a king, like a god among these guys. 
and just like gets lost in there. Just gets oh. lost in Africa. Oh, I like that. Yeah, he's like it's it, that's why I, I was picturing him starting off as like an idealistic kind of guy, and by the time he's like halfway through it, he's like, "No, I am their king. I am their god." Like just having them carry him around on a, you know. Like, Meanwhile, he got <laughs> stairs there. Be like, wait up! Hey, god, oh, don't leave me back here again. Uh, hungry. <laughs> like, that's what would happen if you sent Anderson Cooper on assignment to Africa for two years. That's true. You'd lose him. He'd, he'd stay there. He'd make himself. He'd be uh, heads on spikes. You'd go back there, and he'd be oh. fat Merlin Brando. He'd just be like, oh, what? <laughs> Still looking good though, like a little silver fox, surrounded yeah. by the heads yeah. of like Nancy Grace and yeah. uh, <laughs> Wolf Blitzer, Wolf Katie Blitzer. Couric. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Terrified of women. Can't work with talented people. Like this. Yeah. That's where they put him with. Uh, Kathy Griffith in the New Year's show. Yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Um, <laughs> this one, because it has a Halifax attachment, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'm having a hard time getting. Like, obviously, there's the uh, Europeans are horrible aspect yeah. that, like, you know, we cover all the time. <laughs> but the the one that bugs me about this one is it's indicative again of people being in places they have absolutely no business being. Yeah. Like, what is a Halifax kid? who, like, wants to go on adventures, why is adventures of that time being like, let's round up a ton of Congolese people, drag them through the jungle, make them fight other Congolese people till we find someone who was here and shouldn't have been here in the first place and we try and fix them out of a jam they've got themselves into with the Congolese. Like, all of that, for a Haligonian to be... Doing any yeah. of that, man? What, what is the point? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's typical of that period, but yeah, it is insanely frustrating to go through and read through it and be like, you ass. And yeah. you get a street named after the, you because what is important in history? But I don't think yeah. anyone recognizes that anymore. No, no, I, no I, I always thought it was because well, there was a staircase there. Like I said, yeah, I never even driven down it because I was worried. It's going to wreck stairs. that cold bottom end of your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unless you got you know a Mini Cooper or something. But, yeah. but, like, but like the broader goal, right, is to like the nations want the resources. Oh yeah. But then what do the individuals want? What if, what like is, you just want to start some shit? Like is that all you want to do? Or, or him? He's like kicking around in New Zealand, yeah. which is a nice climate with no yeah. malaria, and he rather enjoyed and himself and there too. In comparison, and you want to go to Africa? Sure, you go to Africa, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to like attach yourself to this massive expedition and grind six hundred men into the dirt. Like you're watching these guys like. Carrying rocks on top of their heads for four hours, and you're like, this is great. I'm yep. doing the right thing. An adventure! <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh no, but don't worry, they were paid about, you know, five pounds a month or something, <laughs> so they're, they're totally gone. It's bizarre, like, how, yeah, I don't know. It's, and the way that they're always able to convince themselves that they're doing something good for the people. Yeah. It's the same as that voluntourism mentality yeah. in my mind where it's like, don't worry, I got you. I got you, Congo. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm coming to help I'm this. here. All 90 pounds of college taught me. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix your problems. Boy, oh boy, I hope you like hearing about really simple philosophy terms because <laughs> I've learned some new philosophy terms and I'm interested in talking about them. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to drop some serious knowledge on you. Yeah. yeah. We did good. Yeah. We, we did real educated. good. Yeah, stupid. It's stupid. <sighs> and Halifax, if if we have, we probably have more Halifax listeners than we have English listeners. In the last one, I made a, a claim to the English to contact me. This one, I'm going to make a claim to all Haligonians out there <laughs> I don't know, go deface Fair Street. I was going to say, let's go tear <laughs> the down the sign. sign. We're going to go tear down the sign right now. <laughs> Talk to your congressman. Or not whoa, congressman. whoa. Hey, come on now. 
I, I mean, I'm stuck in the PSAs of the 80s. Call the mayor. Actually, I almost said member of provincial parliament. Let's call the mayor. We should so get Mike Savage MLA on the show. Or yeah, your yeah, council your MLA person. or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> it's really council person because it's a municipal thing. But regardless. Kind of yeah. That's what I'm saying. Get the mayor on the show. Huh. Oh, man. You Let's know what? Let's okay. If anyone can hook us up with Mike Savage and we can talk about all the sign names that need to be changed, then uh, we'll be more than willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know one of those little bits of like, and like oh, yeah, he didn't yeah, accomplish anything, and he was attached to King Leopold's, like yeah, it's a lose lose. It's a lose lose. The right? last two episodes have been about people that we really don't like. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of been a negative one. The next episode, I guarantee, you, will be a more fun yeah. episode. I guarantee yeah. the next one will be more uplifting and less yeah. less grumpy about the <laughs> British and the English and the Europeans and. <laughs> Yeah. I'm working on it, okay? I'm just exercising some demons. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's important to have this out there that it's, like, it can't be stated enough that it's crappy, that th- that this was the way that the world is built on, and this is, like, yeah. the foundation of our society is built on these things. It can't be said enough that this is not the way that, like, you know, the world should have gone. This is the way it went, and the, you can't, like, you know, throw it out because we'd like to, but it, you can't. But at least you can acknowledge the wrongs of history, and you can hopefully keep them in mind. Yeah, that's like yep. the, that's what you can do, I guess. Huh? Boy, we got a little high-minded at the end of this yeah. one. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> preach, but it's alright. I'm gonna keep preaching and tell everyone to go check out all of the podcasts and fun stuff we got at CBK Halifax. I think we'll have a new web series out by the time this mm. drops. Doolittle just wrapped up. If you haven't mm. seen Doolittle, that'll be all up there. Yep, yep. Um, that's a fun little. Adventure, um, but the next there should be new stuff all the time, uh, and check out all our old episodes for more of the same kind of weirdness. I want to thank Johnny and Ryan, especially Johnny this week for the cool story from history. And all time. Uh, check out all our stuff, and thanks for listening.